Coming up on Golf Today, it's day one of the match play. We take you out to Austin, Texas to get you ready. Have players warming up on the range, including Jordan Spieth, and cook up some highlights as well. Bryson Shambo back inside the ropes today, and Texas says he's not yet swinging full tilt. Will his hand injury prevent him from playing his best golf just two weeks shy of the Masters? And LPGA star Nelly Corda will not compete in next week's Chevron Championship, the first major of the year after being diagnosed with a blood clot. We'll have the latest news on one of the best players in the game coming up on Golf Today. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf Today on a Wednesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. Match play today, a new energy, a little bit of a different flavor. Are you a match play connoisseur? Oh, absolutely. This is the kind of golf I grew up on, Damon. You know, back in Ireland in the 80s, we didn't have that much golf to watch on TV. You got the Open Championship and you got the, the old, what was then the Suntory World Match Play at Wentworth, where you had guys like Seve and Woozy yeah. and Lyle winning 36-hole matches day in, day out. This is the kind of golf I love, and particularly on a Wednesday, because this is normally still preview day, but we've yeah. actually got action today on and off the golf course. Yes, we do match plays like Rock'em, Sock'em, Robots. If I've learned anything about match play, I can lose in match play or I can lose in stroke play. It doesn't matter what kind of golf it is. This is a hard game to play. Yeah, but your quads don't hurt as much in match play. Good point. You could be a short week for some I'm of these players. I'm speaking from experience here, Damon. Trust <laughs> no me. doubt. Losing 9 and 8, perhaps. Well, 64 of the best players in the world tee it up today in Austin, Texas. This is how the match play will work for those at home, maybe not familiar with this format. It's a little bit different. It's changed over the years. 64 players, 16 groups of four. And the groups will compete in the round-robin format Wednesday through Friday. So no one going home. Uh, potentially until Friday. Each player will play three 18-hole matches, one point for a win, half point for a tied match. And the winner from each group advances for the weekend to single elimination match play with sudden death playoffs breaking ties. Then on the weekend, Saturday, round of 16 and quarterfinal matches will be held. Semis, championship, and consolation matches on Sunday. So definitely a different rhythm to what we typically see week to week on the PGA Tour. Now, Group 11 Features match one, Jordan Speed, the UT alum who refers to Austin as his second home, takes on a fellow major champ in Keegan Bradley. They tee off in moments, 10.20 Eastern time, 9.20 local. And for more on the first match, welcome in our own Todd Lewis from Austin Country Club. Good morning, T. Lou. Hi there, Damon. A beautiful day here at Austin Country Club. Sunshine, temperatures around 70 degrees, not much wind, which is kind of irregular here for this part of the planet. And it's interesting when you talk to players as they enter a match play championship like this one, their focus shifts from playing uh, stroke play. Do they play the golf course? Do they play the opponent? Most saying they kind of have a combination of both. As for Jordan Spieth, he has an interesting philosophy when it comes to match play. I like to play every single hole as if I'm two down. I start the match two down, and when I get to even, it resets. I go back to two down. Just stays aggressive um, you know when you get up sometimes it almost feels like you're protecting a three-shot lead in a tournament when things can change so quickly especially with the back nine out here so um, that hasn't changed back into my junior golf days I just kind of went into that approach one time and really liked the the way it you know made me play aggressive golf and that's really the only um, piece of advice I'd you know I have that's the only way I change any mentality in match play versus stroke play. 
Now, it's interesting, of course, Jordan Spieth had his first child, his son, late last year, son Sammy, and he's had to manage practice and playing along with being a father, but he says he's got a pretty good grasp on it right now. But he also said he's never been more motivated to get back to number one in the world than he is right now. He will have a tough out in his first match, and that is Keegan Bradley. That's his opponent. Keegan is a great ball striker. The stats proven the fact that he is 15th in strokes gained off the tee on the PGA Tour, 33rd in strokes gained approach, but putting has been his deficiency pretty much throughout his career. He's 152nd in strokes gained putting on the PGA Tour, but late last year he started working with putting coach Phil Kenyon, and he is now finally seeing the fruits of that labor. He told me this morning that Phil has really helped him with alignment, reading and setup and he feels much more comfortable on the greens than he has in past years and it's starting to show too. Keegan a fifth place finish at the players an 11th place finish and a tough setup the week before at Bay Hill and you can easily make the argument that Keegan heading into this championship may be playing the best in that group the other match in that group interesting as well Adam Scott taking on Justin Rose. These two have been longtime friends going back to their junior days. As a matter of fact Justin told me that he watched in 2013 Adam in a thrilling way win the Masters and it inspired him so much and he learned so much in watching his friend win the Masters, his first major championship, that it helped him get through the U.S. Open and win at Marion as well. They've lived in the same community together, their families are close, so it's friend versus friend in that group. And it's an interesting group, guys, in the fact that all four players in that group all major champions. It'll be fun to watch. Yes, they are. And three of them, former world number ones. Great to have Tilu on the ground. You can see the flags behind him. Very, very limp so far on this Wednesday morning. Now, we talked about Jordan Spieth and saw him earlier this season. Eamon, runner-up finish at Pebble. But the numbers so far, look at those strokes gained this season. Off the tee, 63rd. Approaching the green, the iron play, 95th. Around the green for a short game, Wizard, 112th. Putting T142 in total, 90 seconds. So while he does have that runner-up finish, uh, he has not maybe been on the same trajectory as he was one year ago. No, but if you look at that number of strokes gained off the tee, Damon, at 63rd, that's actually closer to where he was in his more competitive years, if you went mm. back, say, four or five years. I mean, last year he was 135th in that category. A year before he was 165th in that category. The year before that he was 176th. So it's actually an improvement, even though it doesn't necessarily look great. It feels middle of the pack, but middle of the pack is a strong improvement over where Jordan Spieth was in that. But his putting is definitely an issue. I mean, he was 33rd on tour in strokes gain putting last year. Right now, he's 142nd. And again, that is something that has ebbed and flowed over the course of Jordan Spieth's career. He was second in that category just three years ago. But he, he does tend to have very much highs and lows mm. in terms of his game. But Jordan Spieth is the one guy who's got the intangibles from the neck up. And I thought it was really interesting in that interview we just saw with him when he talks about the idea of playing every every hole, much less every match, as though he's too down. Yeah, that fits his personality. He's a scrapper. He's a fighter. I think you're right. The stats only tell part of the story. Uh, you know, who wins other... There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
uglier than Jordan Spieth. You know, winning major championships ugly uh, when you have to kind of get down and dirty and lean on your stroke game and uh, your, your short game and lean on your your savvy and your guy. I mean, he has that in spades. I don't think it's necessarily about the numbers on a stat sheet all the time with this player. It is about being two down and having that mentality and finding a way to get the ball in the hole by hook or by crook. Yeah, the numbers on the stat sheet don't mean much. The numbers on the scorecard do. Mm. And Jordan's, you know, he's shown us what he can do with his back against the wall. If you remember that 2017 Open Championship at Birkdale, he was trailing Matt Kutcher when he was playing from the driving range yes. on Sunday afternoon and managed to go on an absolutely blistering tear. I mean, Matt Kutcher played under par from that point in. I believe that was the 14th hole yes. at Birkdale. Kutcher was under par from that point in and still lost. I think most Jordan of the planet Spieth. was thinking that when Jordan Spieth was trying to figure out where to drop his golf ball by the equipment trucks, that Matt Kutcher was on the verge of winning his first major championship. It really did look that way at the time, but Jordan Spieth has an extraordinary IQ as a golfer and that ability to summon clarity of thought when you're under pressure, that to me is Jordan Spieth's greatest strength. We've seen it time and again. We saw it at Chambers Bay. The only time I've ever seen it where that really worked against him was in that Masters mm. a few years ago when he put a couple of balls in the water on the 12th hole. But otherwise, you tend to see a guy who's got the, the passion drives him. He doesn't lose the clarity of thought, and that's a big deal when you're, especially I think when you're in a head-to-head -head kind of tussle with a guy. If, if it's getting tight down the stretch, you're, you're not playing for some amorphous trophy. You're not playing the golf course. You're playing the guy across from you, and you have to react to what he's doing. And I think that can get very confusing or off-putting for some of these guys who are not accustomed to being in that kind of environment. But he is, and he seems extremely comfortable in it. That is the essence of match play. He's made it to the round of 16 twice. His best finish was a quarterfinal run in 2014, losing eventually to Ernie Els 4-2. and two. Jordan strikes me as a player also who has his happy places in the game. He calls Austin, Texas his second home. He has a lot of good memories on this golf course, but also Pebble Beach. Augusta National, the Open Championship. I feel there are certain venues where no matter what Jordan Spieth and the state of his game might be going in, he can lean on his gifts of imagination and grit to find a way to cobble together a round of golf. Yeah, his attitude travels well pretty much everywhere, mm. Damon. And that's actually not true of a lot of guys on tour who, you know, Bubba is one of those guys who's always had a very kind of short list of of courses where he's comfortable, whereas Jordan Spieth just seems to find his comfort zone like water on all of these golf courses. He's not in great form. He hasn't played well really since the AT&T when he finished second, missed the cut at the players. But, you know, he, who's going to bet against Jordan Spieth in this kind of format? Uh, hey guys, yeah, it was a couple of years ago where Jordan Spieth would be on a driving range with his coach Cameron McCormick behind him. They had the camera. It would be golf swing, look at a picture. Golf swing, look at a video. It's nice to see Jordan by himself moments before teeing off against Keegan Bradley at 10.20 a.m. Eastern time. Well, one of his buddies, Justin Thomas, about to tee off at 10.42 a.m. Eastern time against Luke List. JT coming off that T3 finish at the Valspar, preaching patience as he gets ready to tee it up in Austin. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And by Win Grips, the best grips in golf. 
back to 2018, JT, 72nd hole, trying to make birdie to get into a playoff of Luke List, absolutely stuffs it. And look at the reaction, a little fist bump, former caddy now, Jimmy Johnson, as they do the numbers thing, JT had a five wood in the par five, 18th in the playoff, two putt birdie, able to get it done. These two also met the 2018 match play, JT and Luke List, and JT beat them two up. So the SEC stars from yesteryear about to meet again. And tell you, Eamon, JT has four top ten finishes in his last ten starts, or last six starts. And even though, you know, he was the biggest name on the board, and some might say, well, he had an opportunity, as you said, to maybe strike a little fear against uh, his peers, the prevailing thought by many is that this is a player who is building towards something special this season. Yeah, and something special could be two weeks from now in Augusta, Georgia. But, you know, he hasn't won a major, obviously, since the, the 2017 PGA Championship. But he's in really a purple stretch of form right now. He's only finished outside the top 20 once since the Tour Championship last summer. And the, the ball striking is almost peerless out there on tour. It's the putting that he spends a lot of time working with, with his dad, Mike. At every tournament, you'll see George, Justin Thomas on the putting green for, for long stretches of time. And even at Valspar, I mean, it was kind of feast or famine for him. On Thursday, he shot 66 while losing 1.3 strokes to the field with a short stick. And on Friday, he gained 2.8 strokes with a putter and still shot 66, which is something of a testament to how well he actually hits the golf ball. And he will tell you that he is working on trying to be, I guess, less mechanical, less wooden with his putting stroke, wants to be more of a field player, wants to see the ball go into the hole a little bit. How about his kind of old-school mentality, Eamon, of, of being someone who really kind of hates losing even more than he likes winning? Says his you know, world ranking outside of, uh, you know, he's seventh in the world. It's, it's, it, it, it pisses him off, I think, was the, the term that he used. It's very much a, a Lanny, Hale, Irwin, Tom Watson type of mentality. He really is cut from that Lanny Watkins cloth. And there, there are two statistics in his game in particular that I think really work to his advantage because he has the form, he has the feistiness that's there, but he's third on tour in birdie average, but he's first in bogey avoidance. Mm. And to me, that seems like a pretty combustible combination in, in this format. He's not going to give, if he plays to his typical game, statistically, he's not going to give Luke List a great number of opportunities where Luke List is actually going to be handed a lot of holes out there yeah and you know Luke List hasn't played great since since the farmers but JT has to be considered a strong favorite not only for this match but I would argue for the entire tournament yeah his best finish was 2018 when he lost the consolation to Alex Noren in 2018 for a fourth place finish do you think that JT has the the potential to press a little bit he talked about last year being a disappointing season his players championship notwithstanding that when you do hold yourself to such a high level of excellence that you don't give yourself a, a little bit of the benefit of a doubt, a little bit of, a, of wiggle room, and that you're, you're pressing so hard to be that, you know, 30-time winner on the PGA Tour to get those eight major championships, almost like he wants to do it in, in one or two weeks as opposed to, to taking the long view. Yeah, there are some guys out here, they give you the sense that they've struggled to match the expectations that are heaped on them by others, JT gives you the sense that he struggles sometimes to match the expectations he heaps on himself. And, and those are pretty high. And I think it's, it's quite interesting to see how more even-keeled he appears 
now that he's gotten the guy who's just out of the frame on the left standing behind him is Bones Mackay as his caddy because Bones obviously has a great deal of experience out there. There is no moment you can put Bones in in which he can actually say that he hasn't seen it before. He's got the experience of being on the bag for five major championships with Phil Mickelson, 40-odd PGA Tour wins. He's been a winner with JT as well. And he, he's just a very calming presence on the bag. And I think he acts as much as an amateur psychologist in that kind of setting as he does a caddy. He's not just giving numbers, he's giving advice. And the advice he gives can be very useful to a guy who's as naturally aggressive as JT is. I am highly intrigued by the combination of JT and Bones Mackay in two weeks' time, especially considering JT's trend line at Augusta. You know, first played it in 2016, finished T39, T22nd in 2017, T17 in 2018, T12 in 2019, fourth in 2020, and then T21 one year ago. So a lot of energy and a lot of uh, expectation for Justin Thomas when he hits Augusta National in a couple of weeks' time. But this morning, preparing for his match with Luke List. Now, speaking of Group 6, our buddies at points bet kind enough to post some odds. You see, JT is the favorite at plus 175. You see Kevin Kisner at plus 250. Now, earlier in the week, I asked him, hey, should I pick you, Kiz, for my one-and-done league? I've got a one-and-done league. <laughs> i got to burn one player, and I can't use him again. Dude, you know, I've known you for a little while. Should I just pick you? Man, this week's so hard. Yeah, I could play unbelievable and, and uh, be gone off on Friday. So I tell people all the time, I get asked this question all the time. You can pick me at Hilton Head, Colonial, Travelers, Wyndham. Those are about where I have to make all my money. So figure it all out from, from one of those four. Love I mean, it. Sounds, Love like it. A, sounds like a pick-me kind of play. Yeah, I feel like. I or feel I like can save him for Hilton Head. He's going to ball. And, of course, Kiz has some great history. The WGC match play, past champion, and a runner-up as well. He likes the fight. You know, he's a Georgia Bulldog, I'd say literally and figuratively, after losing in the final. Dell in 2018 got his redemption one year later. Closed out Matt Kuchar 3-2 and two with that birdie at 16 to secure his biggest victory to date. You Look at his match play record. I mean, 16-6-1, winner, runner-up, the only runner-up to win the following year. And he's one of those guys who frustrates his opponents merely by hanging around. I think, you know, he doesn't, by first standards, he doesn't have great ball striking statistics. You know, he's 139th off the tee, he's 163rd in approach, but not very many guys hit it straighter mm. than Kevin Kisner. He's fourth in driving accuracy on tour, and he's fifth in putting, and that combination is going to work in a lot of places, but particularly on a, in a venue like this and in a format like this, where you're not just simply playing the 72 holes of stroke play on a very long golf course. Kevin Kisner will tell you that there is a difference between match play and stroke play in terms of the mentality and that there are certain players that seem to warm to that kind of head-to-head -head competition. I'm curious, as someone who grew up playing it, as someone who grew up watching it, do you agree there are some great stroke play players who just can't quite get a hold of this format. Sure, and when you look at the guys who've succeeded, I go back again to that old match play that was played for so many years at Wentworth. You looked at guys like Seve. No one had a bigger chip on his mm. shoulder than Seve, and it drove him, woozing him to a similar extent. Bernhard Langer, Nick Faldo, 
you know, the, the, probably the most amiable guy who won that tournament in that year was Sandy Lyle back in the 1980s. But it, it's a format that lends itself not just to the, the fickleness of form on any given day, but to that kind of personality edge that you bring to it. There aren't many nice guys who win in match play because they're not trying to just beat 156 other guys or 155 on any given week. They're out there trying to beat the one guy standing between them mm. and the next round. And that personalizes it to an extent that a lot of people kind of get uncomfortable with. How about just the career of, of this player, someone who reminds me a little bit of, I cover David Tom's height of his power, uh, Justin Leonard uh, to a certain extent as well, toward the end of their primes, the golf courses were starting to change to a point where you could already tell that length was going to be a, a huge commodity. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it, between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. ...in this game. You know, Kevin Kisner is someone who doesn't hit the ball a long way. He's a four-time winner on the PGA Tour. He's won this event. He just told us that, hey, you know what? There are certain venues that I can hang. You know, Greensboro, Hilton Head. Uh, how about the fact that he's been able to, to put together a career in this era in 2022 where guys like Brooks and Bryson and JT are the headliners week to week? It's not just bombers, Damon. It's plinkers out there as well. And Kevin Kisner's one... You know, he's a guy who shows up all the time. You know, on Tuesday, we were talking about the reigning men's PGA champion skipping the year's first major. It's a different day, Damon, a different name, but unfortunately, the same story. Nelly Corda, out of next week's Chevron Championship. When we come back, we'll talk with Paige McKenzie about Nelly and about the dominance of Jin Young-Ko. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. News regarding the world number two, Nelly Corda. It has been confirmed that Nelly will not play next week at the season's first major, the Chevron Championship. The field for entry closed yesterday evening, and tournament official confirmed that Nelly had not filed an entry. Earlier this month, Nelly announced on social media that she had been diagnosed with a blood clot in her arm and that she was home resting. Amy, this is a 23-year-old you know, at the height of her physical power and in this game as well. What's your reaction to this scary news? Yeah, let's just hope it's a sort of a minor speed bump in terms of her health. She's obviously otherwise pretty healthy and young. This was a fairly sudden thing that came up when she was in Ponte Vedra Beach doing some commercial work during the, the Players' Championship. It's kind of disappointing that she's not playing the first major of the year because what last year promised is what this year has not yet delivered on the LPGA Tour, which was the promise of a great rivalry. And the last great rivalry we saw in this game was on the LPGA Tour with Carrie Webb and Annika going back quite a while mm. at this stage. So it's, it's disappointing she's not there. It's, it's not a good week for PGA of America reigning champions. She won the KPMG Women's PGA last year mm. and is not playing the first major of the year in the same way that Phil Mickelson is not playing the first major of the year either. Lost for the LPGA with this budding rivalry with Jen Young-Ko and also for Nelly specifically as it pertains to the golf course. She's played very well in her couple of starts there. Uh, lost in a playoff, for example. This is the last year of the LPGA with a major championship at Mission Hills. How disappointing from that standpoint, just in terms of her chasing history. It is. It's also disappointing for 
the tournament. You know, they've had such a great run there for 50 years yeah. at Mission Hills in the desert. And you would like the best players in the world to be there when you're saying goodbye. They have the best player in the world right there now because Jin Yunko is indisputably mm. that. But it would have been nice to actually have the full complement of all of the top ranked players there. Let's welcome on our Paige McKenzie on this Wednesday for more on Nellie Corda. Uh, Nellie is a huge loss to the LPGA as she obviously traveled a lot at the end of last year. What's your reaction to this news? I, I just can only imagine how personally disappointing this must be for Nellie. Obviously, a scary situation that she has been faced with uh, having this diagnosis and perhaps putting in perspective the, the meaning of golf as it relates to health. But but also when you look at her career and, and you both mentioned some really great points, the, the trajectory of which she played last year, I'm sure the excitement of getting back, uh, going head to head with Jin Young Ko, and then just having the, the frustration of, of body not cooperating with mind or physical ability. And for any athlete, that's frustrating, uh, but obviously health most concerning and travel, as we know, can be very difficult with any sort of blood clotting issue, uh, getting an airplane. So no doubt, uh, just a disappointing diagnosis and situation all around. A lot of folks wishing Nellie Corda a speedy recovery. Much more from Paige in just a little bit. Meanwhile, the LPGA Tour returns from its one-week hiatus to Aviara Golf Club for the 12th edition of the JTBC Classic presented by Barbasol. The event begins the tour's West Coast Swing. See that coverage 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow from Carlsbad, California. Now, Jin Young Ko moved back to number one on the Rolex rankings January 31st, and she did not play in the first two months of the year as she rested her yeah, sore wrist. She won her first forget. start of 2022, shooting that final round 66 to come from behind and beat Minji Lee and Inji Chun by two shots in the HSBC Women's World Championship. It was Ko's sixth win in her last 10 LPGA starts including five in 2021. And you see this nugget, consecutive rounds in the 60s. It all belongs to her now. 15 straight LPGA record, 30 straight rounds under par. You see the company she's been keeping on at the Swordstam and a major champion, So Young Yu, as well. So we thought it'd be nice to do a little Jin Young Ko appreciation and welcome back our own Paige McKenzie. Paige, for more on the world number one, I'm just fascinated how you can even try to put this game, this young career so far, into perspective. It's, it's so hard. And honestly, if it weren't for the breaking news, it seems like every single week within the golf world, whether it's Phil Mickelson, the Saudi Arabia League, or Bryson DeChambeau's injury, this would be headlining what is going on in golf. The fact that Jin Young Ko has been so dominant as of late. Uh, if you go back, just even how she ended last season. She won three of her last four, then won again in the beginning of this year, four of her last five. She's won five times in her last eight starts. So I did a little deep dive into what that looked like. The uh, one rounder up finishes well, two sixth place finishes. So in those eight starts, never finished outside top six. Cumulatively, 129 under par. That is a scoring average of 66.9 over those 29 rounds. And look at the very last number. Her greens and regulation percentage in 29 rounds, 83%. That's nearly 15 out of 18 greens every single round. And Damon, that's extraordinary. You have one round of 15 greens, you're feeling pretty good about how your ball striking feels. You have one tournament of doing that, you're feeling pretty awesome. You do that eight 
events in a row, and that is next-level stratosphere for Jin Young Ko. We've seen her perform so well over the course of her career, but in this particular last eight rounds, it has been extraordinary. And I think we didn't get to see the full Jin Young Ko in 2021. Yes, we saw a tremendous fall season, but even that CME Tour Championship, her final event of the year, she never hit a full swing with anything greater than a 52-degree wedge because of the wrist injury that she said inhibited her the better part of May, June, July. So I'm so excited to see her back in action back in the United States this week to see how she continues to ride that momentum. Well, Paige, those numbers answer the question, what have you done for me lately? Where would you put Jin Young-Ko in a more historical perspective in terms of what she has accomplished yet and what is she doing right now in terms of the broader career picture? There's not a lot of players that you can compare Jin Young-Ko to because of the watermark that she's setting in some of her accomplishments. But I have to look to the highest watermark in the game, and that's uh, Annika Sorenstam and some of the stuff that she's done. But for Jin Young-Ko, that 15 consecutive rounds, that broke Annika's record of 14. That 66 consecutive greens in regulation, that accounts for the 63 that she had in the final event of the year last year. Just extraordinary things. If you consider also that, that bogey-free streak, 114 holes of bogey-free golf uh, a couple of years ago, 13 wins already in her sh short and young career, a couple of those major championships. But if I bring it back to Annika and kind of what we've seen Jin Young-Ko do in the last eight starts, where five wins in eight starts, that's over 50% win percentage. You have Annika, who has done similar things in her career, where she won 10 out of 20 events in 2005. In 2001, eight wins, six runner-up finishes. So certainly, we're not there yet. We haven't seen a full season of this kind of win at that clip, but... When you look at what she's doing now, it's hard not to say, hey, there's not a lot of players out there you can even compare this to. Mm. And like Annika Sorenstam, Jin Young-Ko often plays her best golf right beside her rival, whether it's Se Young Kim or Nelly Korda or H.J. Kim. She gets the job done. Now, Paige, I have a story you're going to be very, very interested in. News on Tuesday as the Colorado Open announced that the women's open purse will match the men's open purse, $250,000, 100000 for the champ, Jennifer Cupcho has won, and our own Paige McKenzie, as an amateur, won this event one year after, I want to say, you were a runner-up, and you won this. I mean, this is remarkable how well you did in the state of Colorado. First, just your reaction to the news that the purses will be equal. Excellent news that it'll be equal. Also, tremendous news to have this kind of quality purse at a state open. The Colorado State Open, you know, as you mentioned, I played 15, 16 years ago, was always one of the premier state opens across the country. It was a $10,000 payday uh, back then, which was still tremendous at the time. This is just next level. And to see uh, Colorado Open and their sponsors step up to provide equal pay is is also incredible news, uh, the fact that they value their female participants uh, in the same way. So uh, great news all around. And again, just a, a, a nod in the cap uh, to what has always been one of the best state opens across the country. So Paige, I know you were an amateur at the time that you won, but what would your check have been back then? It would have been it would have been 10,000. I didn't I didn't cap catch what it would have been as a runner-up the year before, but I would have made a nice little payday early in my career had I chosen to turn pro by before I played. But it, it was a good experience nonetheless, and uh, I've always been a follower of what the Colorado State Open has been doing.
Now, eight-time PGA Tour winner Bryson DeChambeau is making his third start on tour this season, the first since the Farmers Insurance Open in January. Miss cut, and you see these golf swings just clearly making them not just in anger, but in pain, kind of holding the back. Learned about the wrist injury, the hand injury as well. And then after that, he actually flew to Saudi Arabia and withdrew over there, and we haven't seen him since. We have not. He's in Group 9 this week out in Austin, Texas. Got a 2-4-0 and four and o record. Has failed to advance from group play in either of his appearances in the match play. So for more on Bryson's health, we welcome back Todd Lewis from Austin. Oh, Damien, those injuries that have kept him out of competitive play are pretty serious. We talked to Bryson yesterday who played nine holes. It's actual golf that he's played for the first time since early February. And he told us that the injuries, first a torn labrum in his left hip and also a fractured hamate bone here in his left hand. Now, this fracture in this hand can be very impactful to golfers, especially as someone who swings it as hard as he does. And I caught up with Bryson, as I said earlier, and he talked about how serious these injuries really are. It wasn't great. I fractured a part of my handmate bone uh, in my hand and, uh, you know, tore a little bit of my labrum in the left hip. And so I've just been recovering off of that. And, you know, people are going to obviously say that it was due to speed training and all that. And, yeah, sure, some of the things have... Uh, been a part of that and just abuse and you know working really really hard but at the same point in time I wouldn't have traded it for anything I've learned so much about my body and um, as time has gone on I've learned how to manage some of that over the past month and a half of just rest realizing how important rest is and you know sometimes it's nice to, to just sit down and do nothing so I was excited for being able to just rest and recover and uh, as time goes on there's obviously a thing that happened um, I slept playing some ping pong and that aggravated everything and made it really really bad because I was still playing up until then. Obviously, you saw farmers that the hand wasn't feeling great. But other than that, a um, little bit too much of abuse and, uh, you know, got into a state now where I'm recovering and I'm on the mend. Did you contemplate surgery in either issue? Oh, yeah. It's still it's still not even off the table. I mean, look, you don't know what's going to happen hook of the handmate. I mean, plenty of uh, baseball players, hockey players, and um, you know, tennis players have had hook of the handmate surgery. And one of those things, it's a really delicate part of the, the hand and, you know, when you're hitting that many golf balls that hard, you can kind of see what happens. So didn't get my hands as strong as they should have been uh, in relation to the rest of my body. But I learned from that, so we move forward with that. It sounds like from this conversation that the hand is the bigger concern right now, maybe more than the hip. Is that, is that accurate? I mean, they're always, I mean, both are a concern. Like, if you, you know, use and abuse the, the labrum, it's not going to feel good either, right? Yeah. So you just got to be careful with both of it. I mean, I mean, docs were like probably three to three months, three to four months, you should be out. Or something like that, but I've done my due diligence and tried my best to make it back for uh, you know these next few events and then the Masters. How much do you trust your hand and your hip right now? Um, I'm probably, I mean, I fully trust it. There's no doubt. Am I going fully at it? No, not even close. I'm not willing to go at it till about Augusta time. You know, I'm just kind of easing back into everything. So, looking forward to having some good competition, good matches this week, and hopefully I can play a lot of golf and my hand gets some durability uh, over this week, and I can go play next week and get fully ready for the Masters, but uh, that's just the goal as of right now. Interesting. So he will play, or at least he's scheduled to play, three matches here this week, and he said if his body feels good enough that he plans to play the Valero Texas Open in San Antonio next week and then follow that up with, obviously, a trip to Augusta National for the Masters. I did follow him around during that practice round yesterday, and I can tell you 
He is not swinging as fast and as violently as we normally see Bryson DeChambeau kind of protecting those injuries. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays here this week in his matches. Doesn't have a super strong group. Uh, Taylor Gooch, now these are solid players. I'm not saying they're terrible, but Taylor Gooch, Richard Bland, Lee Westwood. You know, so it'll be interesting to see how Bryson manipulates his way through that group and if he can make it into the round of 16. Todd Lewis on the Bryson beat for us in Austin, Texas on this Wednesday. Eamon, I tell you what, the thing I took from that interview was a fantastic one with Todd was that Bryson even said as much as he built his body, maybe didn't build up his wrists enough. And I've had conversations with Tim Burke, the world long drive champ, two times over, who said that those players, they'll put their hands in rice and do these exercises to take care of their wrist and protect their wrist. And I just think we're seeing a player who at the age of 28, who has built his body up and changed the game, at least in the short term, and had some players drafting off him like Rory McIlroy trying to chase distance that maybe we've reached the point, a tipping point, where this is not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, we heard from Bryson there a lot about what this injury has done to him over the last few weeks in terms of forcing him to withdraw from tournaments and take time off. He was a little more vague in terms of what it's going to mean going forward. He said he's not going to swing at it hard again until Augusta, which suggests that this isn't going to lead to some kind of sea change mm. in how he approaches the game right now. And when you're playing at Bryson's level, form is fickle. So you start to look for what is sustainable to use your word, what can you control? Well, you can control distractions. You can control your time management. Frankly, he did a lousy job of that last year. Hopefully that's a better thing this year. What you can't control to some extent is your body, but you can control it to a certain extent. Yeah. And the idea of how much punishment you're going to give the body, he talks about the number of golf balls he's hitting that has kind of led him into this position where the body's starting to show stress signs. And to me, the, there is a point where Bryson is going to have to have a moment of reckoning as to does he keep going down this road where it's not just the fact that he swings hard at it on the golf course. We see him tournament after tournament under floodlights on the range, just hitting balls all the time at full speed. That's not physically sustainable at any age, even for someone as physically healthy otherwise as Bryson. At a certain point, the body is not going to be able to keep up with the desire and he's going to hasten that process unless he kind of recalibrates how he did do it. And that's going to be tough because Bryson is a player who always pushes the envelope. I spoke to his coach Chris Como last year and he told me that they have always put breadcrumbs down to be able to go back if there was an aspect of their scientific push that wasn't working. That they could always put the acorns back and find a way to get back to swinging the golf club in a way where he can be a PGA Tour winner and a high-level performer. Do you believe that he can get back to what he was before, which was a PGA Tour winner and a fantastic player even before he changed his body? Yeah, I don't think there's, we're at the point where you start to wonder about Bryson's long-term or even mid-term success as a Tour player. I think he's still an elite player, and he's going to be for quite some time. But I think he's at, he's at this phase right now in particular, in this moment, where his success has to be defined by the physical reaction to what he's doing. He can't be focused on results. And he's got a tough opponent today. I mean, Richard Bland, it may not look like nothing yeah. on paper next to Bryson, but he finished second in Dubai last month and has more form and certainly better health right now than Bryson does. So if Bryson's a little uncertain, Richard Bland's maybe the kind of guy you don't want to be playing. And Richard Bland was in the conversation for a long time last year at Torrey Pines. Yeah.
in that U.S. Open. So you have the Bryson DeChambeau body type, and you got the Joaquin Neiman body type, the pride of Chile who won earlier this year for the second time on tour when he got it done at the Genesis. Much more ahead on this Wednesday. Who do you got? I got Xander Shoffley. His best finish is T-17 in this event, which surprises me. He went 3-1 and one in the Ryder Cup for the U.S. His only loss was to Rory in singles. I think Xander has the game, hasn't won on tour since 2019, did win the Olympic gold medal, of course. I think it's time for Xander to break into the winner's circle again. As we take a look at group number seven, Xander Shoffley takes on Takumi Kanaya. You got Lucas Herbert in this group. You got Tony Finau in this group so you know this is an interesting group i think fino not playing very very good golf at this point as we head over to the cdw talent center and go beyond the scorecard we use some shot link statistics to look at the olympic gold medalist since tokyo 13 events 12 cuts made couple top tens no wins to go three one and oh at the Ryder cup in kohler for team usa Fascinating player, I feel like. Talk about Xander and look at him on the putting green, Eamon. Someone who has accomplished one of the greatest things on the planet, winning an Olympic gold medal, and yet hasn't won on the PGA Tour since 2019. So kind of where do you put his career at this point into perspective? Probably underwhelming. Okay. Frankly, given the amount of talent that he has, he looked so promising so early, and his performance in major championships was strikingly good early in his career. By the time I think he played 20 majors, he'd been in the top 10 in half of them. And he had this reputation, I guess, as a big game hunter. Well, to be a big game hunter, you also got to kill some little game along the way. Mm. And he, he doesn't win as often as his talent would suggest. He's a mainstay in the top 10 in the world. He, he's extraordinarily consistent. He does not miss many cuts, but he doesn't actually get his hands on many trophies either. And at a certain point, if you keep putting yourself in the mix, that has to start to become corrosive mm. to, to your confidence if you don't quite close it out. From a major championship perspective, the start of his career reminds me a little bit of David Duval, who played very well in the majors, uh, but he hadn't won one until 2001 at Lytham. And he said once he won one, his major championship resume would look a little better. Do you, do you feel that Xander is on that trajectory, or do you need to see more? Because we saw him in the frame at Augusta National. We have seen him contend for major championships, but it's one thing to contend, it's another to win them, and that can be a very, very wide gulf. I don't think he's off the trajectory at all. He's very clearly on a, on a very solid trajectory. It's, he's proof that it's tough to win out there. I mean, I always think of people look at Charles Howell as a guy who's sort of under-delivered in his career mm. because he's only won four times. Well, that's, to me, evidence of how difficult it actually is to win out here. Mm. And Xander Shoffley is evidence of how good you can be and still have, have trouble winning. And it's not going to be easy this week either, Damon. I'm not as confident as you are <laughs> in your pick of him because look at the guys who are in his half of the draw. He's got Jordan Spieth in there. He's Colin Morikawa is in his half of the draw. Justin Thomas, Vic Hovland. He's got a lot of guys that he has to get past if he wants his hands on this trophy. Trying to get out of group play for the very, very first time. That was the CDW Intelligence Center. People who get it. Well, amid all the tough stories emerging from the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, Damon, one in particular struck a chord with golf fans. Misha Galad, a promising 15-year-old who endured the Russian assault on his hometown alongside his family. Misha recently escaped to safety in the United States. 
He's going to join us next. We have all seen the horrific images coming from Ukraine since Russia invaded on February 24th. City after city shelled by Russian artillery, including the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv. Hundreds have lost their lives and millions have been displaced from their homes. 15-year-old Misha Galad, one of the top amateur golfers in Ukraine, and his family fled west to Hungary to outrun the advancing army. Golf Digest published a story about Galad and his family. Swing coach David Ledbetter saw that story and, with the help of Global Golf Post publisher Jim Nugent, devised a plan to get Galad across the Hungarian border and eventually to the United States. Galad arrived late March 11th in Orlando, Florida, where he will be enrolled in the David Ledbetter Golf Academy. Galad's mother, Vita, traveled with him to the United States, but she flew back to Ukraine to be with her husband and her parents. Glad then made the trip to TPC Sawgrass for the weather-delayed culmination of the Players' Championship, where he walked the final round ride with Thomas, Rahm, and Doc Redman, the third member of the group, as an honorary observer. And Misha joins us now on this Wednesday. It is wonderful to see you. For those of us who cannot even relate to what you have been through, Misha, at what point did you know last month that the situation was dangerous and that you needed to leave your home? Well, we were hearing explosions from the first day of the war, meaning from February 24th. But whenever the explosions actually came close to our house, which was in, in our village, uh, they blew up an aerodrome, which was three, um, three miles away, and we could see the smoke from our, from our balcony. That's when we knew that it wasn't safe staying there. Misha, during the shelling and bombardment, you were watching the Arnold Palmer Invitational. You were watching Rory McIlroy playing in the first round which you told Golf Digest. Was that an attempt to find some kind of normalcy in what was going on around you? Well, I've been watching golf for the last six years, probably every event. I've been following Rory and many other players, so it's sort of like something I do daily. But it for sure helped me think about something else during the war. Now, there are fewer than 4,000 golfers in Ukraine. What was it that drew you to a sport? What do you find in it that is so you know, not widespread among your countrymen? Well, I've, I've traveled to U.S. before and I've, 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 I've spoken to people who have been in the golf industry for a long time and they sort of brought the love to the game to me and I, I understood how, how great the game is and how much of a mental, mentally strong player you have to be to, to succeed in the game and I, that's what I love about it. Misha, we are so glad that you are here in the United States and you're safe, but you've endured a, a very uh, terrible, tough journey just to get to this moment, what has been the scariest moment in the past month for you? Well, every day has been very scary because you never know what's going to happen. And a lot of things on the news are fake and you never know what's true or what's not. And some things are actually very scary. Um, I've been trying to force myself to believe that those very scary things are fake. And uh, while, while, while traveling to the United States, I've, I've been reading the news daily. And I've been thinking about my family back home. And to this day, still, I, I'm, I'm calling them three times a day, four times a day to make sure they're safe. What, what message do you think your family in Ukraine would like you to convey to the world? Because we don't actually get to talk to and hear from very many people who are under the bombardment right now. What is their message that they would like you to pass on? Well, 
I've said this a few times, and I know you've heard this a few times, but um, this war should not be happening in the 21st century in Europe. It's terrifying. People are dying. People are losing their homes. And every fourth Ukrainian right now has already left their home, which is almost 10 million people. They have left the place where they live basically for, for their whole life. And this war needs to be stopped as soon as possible. And uh, if Ukraine is not going to be able to do it alone, we should we must receive some help from, from the West or from the U.S. Misha, you received help from David Ledbetter, the coach. What has he meant to you and your family and your journey to the United States? It's been awesome, and uh, especially for David Ledbetter to reach out to me. I never, well, I've heard about him. He never knew about me. And uh, he reached out to basically a stranger and offered help and offered a place to stay here in, in Orlando. And that was, that was a great act uh, of sportsmanship and a great act of, to show how, how great of a person he is. And I'm very glad to be here and to, to be able to continue progressing and going towards my goals. What is your hope and dream to uh, one day return home to Kiev, or are you putting that aside uh, for the time being? Uh, my definitely my, my goal would be bring my my family to the United States because Kiev is not safe right now and it will not be a great place to live in the next probably 10 years. So I know that the best option for me would be bringing my family back to the United States. We saw Misha after you'd arrived that you went to the, the Players Championship, which looked like a rare bright spot in what's been happening lately. What was that experience like for you at the tournament? It was awesome. I, I I met some of my favorite players. I talked to them. Uh, they gave their support, gave their love towards me, and uh, it was just awesome. Your relationship with golf, I know you loved the game before this war. How has your, your love and appreciation for this game maybe grown even more because of the last month? Well, it's growing every day, and every day I, I'm just thinking it over and over again how much I love the game. And it's been awesome to meet Rory, to meet John Rahm, to meet Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland. It's been awesome to meet all the players. And uh, I, would, I, would, I was inside the ropes on one of the groups. And it, it was awesome to watch them play close up and to learn something for myself and maybe use that information in my, in my future terms. You look like a golfer. You talk like a golfer. What's your favorite part of the game? Uh, well, psychology is, is a huge thing in golf. And you have to be very, very strong mentally. And that's a part which I've been working for a very long time to be stronger at. And it's definitely the part where if, if you're good at it, you're going to be the best player. Misha, you are incredibly mentally tough. We wish you and your family safety. We appreciate you joining us. And we wish you all the best in this game and in life as well. Thank you. Thank you very much.